1: Welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is where we take a look at our national football team in an audio podcast way. Thanks for your recent comments, always nice to hear from you and the recent episode where we spoke with England fan Daniel Payne about his first England away game Croatia in 2008. Well that went down really well. And it's still available to listen to, should you have not heard it yet. You can listen to it either at threelionspodcast.com. lionspodcastcom It's available on all the usual platforms. iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music were on there as well. SoundCloud too. So stay subscribed for those who've got more of those ready to go. But this time, we're previewing the three home games we have coming up. Wales, Belgium and Denmark. All in the space of six days. Now, Wales is a friendly, but as it's a home nation opposition, it's never really just a friendly. Belgium and Denmark are Nations League games, so equally as important. And of course, these games follow the victory in Iceland and the draw in Denmark last month. And Belgium currently top Group 2, League A. Or is it League A, Group 2? Either way, Uh, after a 2-0 win against Denmark and a 5-1 victory over Iceland. That was a game where Iceland took the lead, in fact, in that one. So it's safe to say a win at Wembley against them is almost essential uh, if we've got visions of winning the league and qualifying for those finals once again. And speaking of Wembley, it'll be 330 days since we last played there. Remember that 7-0 victory over Montenegro? The one that secured our path to the Euros seems such a long time ago now. That was the one where Harry Kane got a hat-trick, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain opened the score in, Marcus Rashford and Tammy Abraham all scored. They also featured an own goal too. Sadly though, it'll all be behind closed doors. As the current guidelines mean, we're not able to attend. And I'm pretty sure that this will be the first time a home game has been like this. Gutting. Absolutely gutting. Now in the other fixtures in our group, uh, match day three, Iceland play Denmark at home when we play Belgium. And then match day four, whilst we're entertaining Denmark, Iceland host Belgium. Incidentally, Iceland have got a very important game before they play Denmark and Belgium. Because on the 8th of October the Euro 2020 playoffs begin, or the 2021, next year's Euros, basically, uh, where they play Romania at home. And this is on the same night that Scotland play Israel, Northern Ireland go to Bosnia and Herzegovina, and, of course, we play Wales. It's been a while since we've had this many games in quick succession, especially at home, probably the Russia World Cup. I could get used to this. Although it could be argued that if we weren't in this current coronavirus predicament, then we wouldn't have three games. So uh, careful what you wish for there, Russell. And as always, we'll be speaking with people who know a little more than I do about the opposition. But first, Gareth Southgate released his squad on Thursday, the 1st of October. And as always, let's take a look through it. So, as we know, that squad last month certainly caused some headlines. And if you remember, no left-sided players. Harry Maguire was selected, then dropped because of his Mykonos mischief. God, I'm sounding like the sun there. Uh, let's just say it's Greek incident. Marcus Rashford and Harry Winks pulled out. And there were some first call-ups for Phil Foden and Mason Greenwood, who were then sent home shortly after the Iceland game. Danny Ings got a call-up but only played 20-odd minutes, uh, and Leeds United's Calvin Phillips kept his head down and played quite well in Copenhagen. James Ward-Prowse returned too. And after the pull-outs, Gareth called in Arsenal's Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Wolves' Connor Cody, and finally gave in to Jack Grealish. All in all, it's best forgotten. So let's hope this time all the news is on the pitch. 30 names announced, which bearing in mind we have three games... I guess is no real surprise. And a little thing, they've released them in positional order rather than alphabetical on social media when they put the squad out. Now the major news, I guess, is Harry Maguire returns, as does Ben Chilwell. Harry Winks, Jordan Henderson and Marcus Rashford too. Connor Cody, Calvin Phillips, Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Jack Grealish retain their spots. And despite getting sent off against Iceland, Carl Walker is back in. Unsurprisingly, Phil Foden and Mason Greenwood are omitted. And in their place, Gareth has given call-ups to Arsenal's Bukayo Saka, Everton's Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Leicester's Harvey Barnes, who have all come through the under-21 pathway. Dominic Calvert-Lewin with 17 caps and 7 goals. So he, uh, he fully deserves this opportunity, given the fact he's been on fire recently. Eight goals in five games. Including two hat tricks, so the full squad is as follows. And I'll point this out now, as I'm sure some will drop out. But I'm recording this on the day of the announcements. So in goal, we have three keepers: Dean Henderson, Jordan Pickford, and Nick Pope. Defenders: Trent Alexander-Arnold, Ben Chilwell, Connor Cody, Eric Dyer. Let's hope he doesn't have any more uh, on the pitch, off the pitch incidents. Uh, Joe Gomez, Michael Keane, Harry Maguire, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Tyrone Mings, Bukayo Saka, who's actually the youngest of the, uh, the 30 at 19 years old. Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid. And as we mentioned, Carl Walker, despite getting sent off against Iceland, is back. Uh, and he's, in fact, the, the oldest of the 30. So he's got a lot of responsibility there, hasn't he? Uh, in midfield, Jordan Henderson, Mason Mount. Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, West Ham United, James Ward-Prowse of Southampton. Harry Winks is there as well. And then up front, Tammy Abraham, Harvey Barnes of Leicester City. and We mentioned Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Jack Grealish gets another chance to impress. Danny Ings, who knows where the goal is. Harry Kane, of course, captain. Marcus Rashford, Jadon Sancho and Raheem Sterling. Personally... I'd expect the three new boys to get some time against Wales. Perhaps not a full 90, but just a chance to show Gareth how they can integrate in. And here's a squad made up of three from Man United, Everton, Liverpool, Chelsea and Tottenham. Two from Arsenal, Aston Villa, Southampton, Manchester City. And one from Burnley, Wolves, Atletico Madrid, Leeds, West Ham, Leicester and Borussia Dortmund. Average age... Of 24.6. Out of the 30, it's a total caps of 456 and it's got 67 goals within it. Hopefully, those 30 players is enough for us to get past Wales and six home points against Belgium and Denmark. So first up on Thursday the 8th of October is Wales at home. Kickoff is at 8 o'clock and it's going to be on ITV. Now by all accounts, this match came about after Gareth Southgate and Ryan Giggs were both doing some work for the, uh, the sponsor BT, who sponsor both sides. Uh, apparently Giggs broached the subject of the game and Gareth took him up on it. There you go. Uh, It's going to be match 103 between the two sides England have won 67, lost 14 and there have been 21 draws The first match between these two was back in 1879 which England won 2-1 And of course the last time we met was that 2-1 victory in Lawns during Euro 2016 Pretty much the only highlight of that tournament uh, for us And the last time Wales won was back in 1984 when a Mark Hughes goal separated the two sides. Now, as we say, the first match for England coming up is against Wales. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Rich Roberts from the Pale Droid podcast rich hello there hello yeah happy to be here from podcast Peldroid. droid um how are you i'm very well thank you i'm glad i got the pronunciation of that right it was good it was really good well done oh well, whereabouts are we uh whereabouts are we talking to you from um i'm in cardiff ah so the, the heart of wales the heartbeat of wales i guess is that right was that a people yeah, refer to yeah. It? good stuff i mean how, how long has um Pale droid
2: been going for um well, we started. It's well, we're actually coming up to our 100th episode. Um, I think the next one is 98, and then we'll only be a couple away from 100. It's been going a few years now. Um, we kind of started just before the good times kicked in, <laughs> um, which was which is really amazing because it means we we could never be classified as glory hunters because we were <laughs> around before before um, things got really good. But also we didn't have to suffer too long um, doing the podcast before the fruits of uh, the whole, the whole organisation's labours uh, came to bear. So, yeah, it's, it's been a while. Um, some ups, mainly ups, a couple of downs, but it's been a really awesome, uh, awesome period for that. us to be commenting on football. Yeah,
1: good. Well, I guess this has all come about with the uh, Chris Coleman in charge and now Ryan Giggs in charge, I guess. Is that, is that right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess the sort of the the work had gone in before Coleman, but I think Coleman was the one who after um what happened with Gary Speed, Coleman kind of Coleman was the guy who just brought that I think a little bit of extra toughness to our play. Cause we had a lot of young players at the time um who had been sort of brought in by Toshak. um Arguably because they had, I mean, they had to be brought in. We didn't have the player base. Toshak developed them and then Speed did some work. And then Coleman came in and took it to the next level. But now under gigs, I think we've got an even better group. And we'll be looking to really do something in the Euros for sure. Uh, yes. Next summer, fingers crossed
1: that's right because you are you're in the euros for next year much like ourselves you're uh, up against switzerland turkey and italy but that's that's obviously a little way off um but you're unbeaten in eight games at the moment aren't you so things are things are obviously going well
2: yeah i mean ryan giggs has had a yeah he had a difficult start i think um and he was coming in where the, I mean, the fans were kind of, I would say, maybe 70-30 against his appointment, I would say. Um, wow. So he's had, he's, yeah, he's had work to do, but to be absolutely kind of clear about it, I was kind of, I was ambivalent. I was neither pro or against him coming in. Um, he's done a really fantastic job and he has undoubtedly, I think, taken us on a level. I mean, granted, he's got some really, really brilliant young players coming through, um, but the way he's, he's generated, like one of Coleman's flaws would have been he stuck to his favourites too much. Whereas I think Ryan Giggs is someone who's made it very clear that there aren't really any favourites and you have to be playing and playing well um, and no spot is secure. So, yeah, it's been a really brilliant. Um, and yeah, of course, we're eight games unbeaten and we we'll want to keep that run going um, if,
1: if we can do. Yeah. And I know you, you recently beat, was it Finland and Bulgaria, both with a couple of late goals. Yeah,
2: we did. And I mean, this was kind of, and we, we had players missing in both of those games and Bale wasn't at full fitness, um, but we kind of, we got two results, two clean sheets without playing anywhere near our best kind of dynamic attacking football. So, I mean, that I mean that is really, really, really good. And of course, to go away to Finland and win 1-0, um, Finland are a good team in good form and You know, we beat them. And that's superb. It was a somewhat disappointing game against Bulgaria. But again, the fact is Bulgaria came to Cardiff with no ambition beyond keeping the zero and, and not losing to us. So again, that's another
1: sign of how, how far we've come. Yeah well you mentioned the main man there of course um, Gareth Bale's come back to England he's come back to Tottenham uh he's yet to be used by Mourinho and just looking at the squad that that Ryan Giggs has announced he hasn't uh, even included him in that how how has that gone down and and who's going to fill the space of of Gareth Bale well
2: i mean yeah i mean
1: that's fine i mean he's he was injured on
2: international duty with us last time um and is only just sort of kind of returning to training now so it would be it wouldn't make any sense to bring him back and risk him i mean he's simply he's simply not ready um he's doing some training with tottenham and the idea will be to get him fit and then his whole season now of course is to do well with tottenham but really the the reason for the move was for the euro so that that's absolutely fine in terms of taking his place it's interesting we've got um Brooks back in the squad. Um, he's had a terrible time with injuries, but he's an absolutely fantastic player who I think potentially could still move. I think Bournemouth have been quite difficult with his asking price, um, but he's someone who needs to be playing you know, in, in the EPL or in, in one of the big leagues for sure. Um, so Brooks would be the one we'd be looking to kind of slot in um, in that kind of forward, forward three or four um, and take Bale's place, I would imagine. But that being said, we've got other people as well. I think particularly for the England game, um, which is the least important of the three by some distance because of those doing so well in the Nations League. Um, Gigs will probably look to rotate and give people a, a chance. So maybe Harry Wilson might come back in, um, Rabi Matondo perhaps, uh, and Robson Carnu as well. Um, so yeah, we've, we've got some nice options. Any team in the world is going to miss Gareth Bale. Um, but, the whole point is now just to build that depth um, without our best players if they're not available on that on a particular game.
1: Yeah, I mean you you said there the the least important game, and I understand what you mean. But obviously, it's a home nation's game. How, how do um, Welsh people look at the England fixture in general? I know you haven't got the the best record against England, and I'm not here to to gloat or anything like that. But but how does it go down in general?
2: Um. I mean, I think what I would say is in terms of Wales fans who follow the Welsh national team, we're not in the slightest bit interested Mm. in what England are doing. Um, Of of course, we want want to beat them like we want to beat any team and it's perfectly reasonable and natural. You want to beat the teams that are geographically close to you. That's the whole reason and point of international football, really, isn't it? But um, in terms of kind of, no, it's not really very interesting to us. Our kind of goals are, qualifying for major tournaments, going on unbeaten runs um, and just playing the best the best football we can do. So, yeah, I mean, it, it would be more of a media kind of creation than anything else, I would say. Um, England can do what they want to do. They've got some interesting kind of players i guess um but yeah it's it's not super interesting to us to be honest yeah,
1: fair enough it's always good to get um different perspectives on on these different games uh of course the last meeting was um back at euro 2016 which which we won did, did you go to that game uh,
2: no i didn't go i was watching um with my i think she was 18 months old daughter at the time i was there <laughs> that was yeah that was an interesting one um and yeah i mean that it was it was a it was a an awful way to lose that game so late. Although if you're gonna I mean our tournament experience I would suggest was somewhat more positive than yours. I was overall. gonna say <laughs> you
1: had the last laugh really, didn't you?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um I mean it was an amazing tournament overall. And I think it was one of the I mean,
1: talking about how gigs is
2: building this really great strength in depth now. In the semi final against Portugal, we were missing Aaron Ramsey and uh, Ben Davis, two behind bail, arguably I would say most important players um, and that cost us badly in that semi-final. so there 's always an element where you think where we would think what would have happened had those two been playing because Portugal were good, but they weren 't incredible um so looking kind of now it 's about getting that getting as many players as possible playing well um hopefully. We'll be back in a semi-final in the next few rounds um, with, with with more depth, um, and hopefully you guys can avoid um, another Iceland.
1: Oh yeah, that would be would be nice. Uh, but yeah, as I say, like you're hoping for a a positive thing next year. You have got Switzerland, Turkey, and Italy. How, how do you think you, you would fa- fare up against those?
2: Oh well, I mean, it would be it would be failure to not qualify from that group. Just that's just simple. Um, Italy is clearly I mean, historically, it's a difficult difficult game. And I mean, and Italy, at their worst, are still a reasonable team. Um, I guess we'll see closer to the time um, how they're faring and so on. But yeah, absolutely, we would be looking to... I mean, we'll be looking to progress very, very deep into that tournament. Absolutely. Um, a lot of things are going to depend on how some of our players develop over the season, because we have got a young team. But if we just assume that the development is good, is as expected... Then yeah, we'd be looking to go very very deep into that tournament.
1: Well, she'll be uh, be watching out for you guys on that, and likewise the uh, the Nations League games as well. But let's let's just bring it back round into the circle. If I was to ask you for a prediction at the uh, the Wembley game, would you be be open to uh, giving me something on that?
2: Yeah, I would say um, we'll win two zero.
1: <laughs> but it's the least important game, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean. 2-0, 3-0, 4-0. It does not matter. Um, yes, yeah, certainly the least important. But let's just hope for some good quality football.
1: Yeah, no, great stuff. Um, Rich, thank you very much. And once again, um, the, the Pale podcast. Should anyone want to, to tune in? Where, where can they find you on that?
2: Yep, um, look us up on Twitter. Um, there'll be plenty of links and stuff on there. It's on all the usual platforms, uh, iTunes and so on. So yeah, um, definitely they should. Be, anyone should check it out if they like boss
1: football. Christoph. And is it, is it in Welsh or in English? It's in English. It's in English. There you go. So no excuse then, people. Um, no, Rich, thank, thank you very much. Cool. Now, next up is Belgium on the 11th of October. Kick-off, 5pm UK time. The last time we played each other was back in the 2018 World Cup. And, and in fact, we actually played them twice, something that doesn't actually happen too often. It was the third and fourth place where we lost 2-0 in St. Petersburg and a game that was oh, Phil Jones's last England cap, if you want a little stat on that. But before that, we met in Kaliningrad, a game I remember taking an overnight bus journey from Lithuania to. Lost that one as well, 1-0. Uh, that was the last of our group games after we'd beaten Panama and Tunisia. Back then, uh, we spoke with John Chapman from the website belgofoot.be. And I'm pleased to say he's uh, he's back with us and joined us again. Hello, John. Hello, Russell. How are you? Uh, good to be back. <laughs> ah, good to have you back. Are you well? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine, thanks. Yep. Good stuff. Now, Belgian football, it's, well, top of the pile, aren't they, at the moment?
0: Well, top of the pile, if you, uh, if you believe those rankings, I suppose. Um, but yeah, top of the pile. Um, they're certainly on a good run. They haven't, they've won the last 13 games, I think. So it's not too bad. No, not at all. Um, I mean, am I right in saying that when
1: Roberto Martinez was appointed back in 2016, he wasn't really everyone's sort of favourite pick, was he? He didn't get off to the
0: best start. No, I think that's right. Um, it was a bit of a surprise because he hadn't got a lot of international. Well, he hasn't now, I suppose. He hadn't got a lot of international experience. In fact, I went to the fir- his first game when they played Spain, and okay. Spain destroyed them. David Silva ran the game, and I don't think Belgium really got a kick. But yeah, he's he's done the business, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's. Uh, they had a pretty good World Cup. You know, some some said they should have won it. And uh, they've had great results for a long time now. So are the Belgian people changing their tune now? Yes, I would say yes, definitely. Um, There's nobody complaining about Martinez anymore. Uh, He got an extended contract. Uh, He's living in Waterloo. Um, Yeah, he doesn't seem to be speaking uh, French or Dutch. Uh, All his press conferences are in English. Okay, uh, and um, yeah, some people might object to that. I suppose, although
1: it does make it a little easier for the likes of you and I to uh, to understand what <laughs> he's talking about.
0: <laughs> well, my Spanish isn't too good, so you're yes, you're right. There.
1: I mean, the Nations League. Obviously, you are you're top of that at the moment. How, how's the Nations League being spoken about in Belgium?
0: Um, I wouldn't say it's uh, headline news. Probably less of a a fixture that people talk about compared to the Euros you know I don't think it's got that um, importance yet um, but yeah um international matches the Belgians get behind the team although of course you know with the fans not really in the stadiums at the moment it's, it's not quite the same but yeah it's, I think it's treated obviously better than friends.
1: Yes, yeah, I think that's that's how everyone sees it. I know they've got the Ivory Coast at home, yeah. then they come to to England, and then they play Iceland away. And Martinez yeah. has picked a uh, a fairly big squad to look at all of these players, hasn't he?
0: Well, he's picked a squad of thirty-two, um, which is probably well, it's the first time I've known a squad <laughs> that big. Um, he said the reasons were because they've got three games. And they don't really want to play players for all three games. Probably no player will play three games. So they brought in quite a few youngsters. Three of them, in fact, will only be with the squad for the Ivory Coast game. And then they'll drop into the under-21s because they've got quite important games. Um, But yeah, he's brought in quite a few players, quite a few young players on the fringes. I think one of the reasons is, um, apart from the three games, is that Belgium have an ageing squad. Right. Um, This was uh, talked about in the media last week, and I think Romelu Lukaku was actually interviewed by the Times, and he mentioned it, that one of his fears, if you like, was that a lot of players would be retiring, um, maybe after the Euros, because they've almost lost a whole team. You know, people talked about the golden generation. Um, they've lost Fellaini, Dembali, Company, Nangola. They're, they're no longer involved. And then people like Mertens, um, Alderweireld, Batongan, Witzel. they are all over thirty, you know. So, right, okay, it's I mean, an aging squad.
1: Yeah, I mean that. I mean it happens in every squad and, and nation doesn't it where these, these players come through in, in waves so it's a case now of, yeah. of nurturing that under 21s and the younger sides and, and bringing them through in the way that that they have done recently to get to that World Cup semi-final um, and, and be the, the good team that they are, the number one team. I mean,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: There's certainly a lot of players that that we recognise here that play in the Premier League. You mentioned Toby Alderweire of Spurs. Um, we've got obviously Kevin De Bruyne, obviously of Manchester City. Tulemans at Leicester, Benteke at Palace, Spachuaye at Palace. I didn't re- realise actually a Rigi, Divac Rigi, um, yeah, forward yeah. at Liverpool. Um, but there's obviously worldwide names. Our goalkeeper, Quartar at Real Madrid, um, Aidan Hazard at Real Madrid, and you mentioned Lukaku as well. So there's still these exceptional oh, yeah. players,
0: aren't there? Um, yeah, if if those players that I mentioned sort of do retire, you know, which is possible, I suppose, they've still got a reasonable team. You know, you could build it around De Bruyne, Eden Hazard, Tielemans, Lukaku. I would say those would be the main four, if you like. Yeah. And they've got quite a few reasonable midfield players and attackers, but defence, you know, in the future is the big question mark. You know, they've lost say they lose Alduero, Batongan, Vermalin, Company. Say they've all gone. It's yeah. tough, tough to replace those guys and they haven't really got a lot coming through. They've got Dinea, who's not bad, at Lyon. Um, Boyata, uh, Berlin, Munier, I suppose, in Dortmund, Borussia. But, but you know, I think not quite the same names, if you like.
1: Not yet, anyway yet <laughs> so you'll be coming to to Wembley for the game on the 11th of October they despite England being at home I would imagine Belgium must feel that they are the favorites for that game Oof. or not maybe
0: <laughs> I don't think Belgians Belgians are, are not that as a race they're not very they're not like the Dutch you know right <laughs> the Dutch would say yeah we're going to win we're going to win everything the Belgians never seem to say that. You know, they always say, no, I'm not sure. You know, Wembley, England, it's going to be a tough one. They would never say their favourites. Also, you know, big, another point I haven't mentioned is that Eden Hazard and Thorgen Hazard are both out. Are they really? They've both got thigh problems and they're both out. So um, is that after the squad was announced? Well, Thorgan Hazard was, was out before the hmm. squad was announced, so he was never in. Uh, Martinez included Eden Hazard, and I think on the same day, to be honest, Real Madrid uh, announced that he, was, uh, he now had a thigh injury and he would be out for another three weeks.
1: Ah, well, that's sort of so memories of uh, Harry Maguire there.
0: <laughs> Harry Maguire?
1: <laughs> that? Well, he, he was announced on the, uh, on the same day and then obviously had his incident oh, in I Greece see. and was yeah. pulled out on the same day. Obviously, yeah, not, obviously not, not the same the standard same as player. <laughs>
0: but, yeah. <Okay>. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, so it does leave, I mean, Thorgen Hazard is, is a good player nowadays as well. And obviously Eden Hazard needs no introduction. No. But they're both left-sided um, and it does leave Belgium a bit weak on the left there. So, And, you know, they're going to miss them. Um so that might make a difference.
1: Oh, well, we shall. Uh, maybe we can take advantage from an England point of view at home um, and then they may return in time for that return leg in November, which, uh, well, which I'm sure we'll talk yeah, about. Yeah,
0: in theory they'll both be back, but Eden, as I in particular, hasn't played at all. Really. Well, mm. just
1: um, t- tell us a little bit more about um, Belgo Foot, the website that you, that you put together.
0: What, what, what do you want to know? Oh, how, how long has that been going? Uh, Well, I can tell you a bit more about me. I've been writing about Belgian football since, I think, 1999. Right. So you were there before the good times. Which is quite a while. Yeah, I saw the good times arrive, and then some might say wane a little bit. But, yeah, I was there before. Yeah. In a sense, that's how I made my name, if I had one, because I had a name once. I had a lot of uh, followers on Twitter, mainly because of the massive interest in the Premier League uh, of people like Kevin De Bruyne, Eden Hazard, and Thibaut Courtois, who were all playing, in, well, two of them were playing in Belgium, one was playing in France. And there was very little knowledge about those guys. Uh, and that's where I filled in a hole. So that was good. Um yep. Yeah, it was good. I, I used to, I watched a lot of Belgian games in those days. Uh And I've, yeah, I've seen that. A lot of uh, the Belgian international team, but you are you're of, you're of English birth, though, aren't you? Yeah, I'm from Manchester, um, from the Old Trafford end. but uh, ah. a bit of detail. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, if you, if you were to put a prediction
1: on this this game between England and Belgium, where where would you see that going?
0: Um, I would say a draw. Right. at Wembley, um, and I, I think Belgium might win the return. So that's what i go for
3: at the moment. Um, I think
0: it's
1: going yeah. to come down to, the, to that last game, possibly, between, uh, between Belgium and England over in... Well, that will be
0: played in Brussels, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, although, well, 95% of the matches are, are played in Brussels. Yeah. yeah, exactly. One thing about Belgium, I, I, I've seen the last two Manchester City games, and Kevin De Bruyne doesn't look very happy. I mean, he, he has these periods when he doesn't look particularly happy. Manchester he's City. He's just aren't... had a third. But he's just had a third trial, so maybe you know, he's got, having some late nights.
1: Maybe, maybe. I mean, Manchester City aren't the uh, haven't had the best of starts to the Premier League, have they? So maybe that's uh, maybe that's having an effect on him.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah.
1: We, we shall see. What, what
0: do you? What, what's your feeling about the game? The result.
1: Uh, I think. After the Iceland and the Denmark games, um, which weren't particularly exciting um, and sort of neither not, not, not productive, but could have been approached in a uh, in a better way, I think that these these games, I mean, we've got Belgium before we play Denmark and, uh, and Wales before we play Belgium. So I'm thinking that it'll experiment a little with Wales um, and then go full out against Belgium, um, knowing that we've got to get a, Ideally, a win um, against Belgium, um, and I, I think if we can if we can get get at the get at the Belgians early um, and score early, then I think we can we stand a chance. But I think being yeah. the being the two teams that that they are, uh, you, you could be right with a draw. Um, I'd like to think that England will win, um, but I, I'm fully aware of how good Belgium are.
0: Yeah, I think. I think they will miss Eden Hazard um, this time although they have got results in the past without him and without De Bruyne but probably England you know England are a reasonable side these days I think so yeah it could be be a tough one yeah that would certainly be interesting it would be interesting certainly and I look forward to discussing it with you before the next game
1: yes that
0: would be great John
1: thank you very much
0: no problem Russell Uh, good to talk to you
1: klaus from danish footy last month and i'm pleased to say he's back with us again hello klaus
3: hello ross i'm
1: very well thank you how are you
3: i'm well i'm well good stuff how's copenhagen today ah it's been quite nice actually uh warm weather and sun is out (laughs) earlier today so lovely it's quite nice
1: well, after we we previously spoke on the uh, on the previous podcast, I actually spoke with some England fans who went out to Copenhagen and, and watched the game in some bars there, as I thought there would be a few.
3: Did you encounter any England fans? Well, normally I don't work in Copenhagen; I work outside Copenhagen. But uh, I saw on the telly that there were some in the, some of the Irish bars we have here in Copenhagen. So, I mean, that's the point about being a football fan, isn't it? Is it to go to Away when news and of course, not wind news, but the away cities and uh, see for yourself. But I, I saw on the television that there were some English fans who took the trip trip over, even though yeah. there's COVID nineteen and all
1: that. Yeah, no, they they done well. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, we even had a a fan who went to Iceland as well and um, mm. isolated for the best part of ten days and then watched the game. Okay, that's that's dedication, isn't it? (laughs) It is very much, yeah. Um, i take take my hat off to him. Um, So, I mean, that game last month, um, how was it received in Denmark?
3: Well, to be quite honest, I I think that people saw it as a bit of a drag. (laughs) I mean, there there wasn't too much going on. and As I saw it, it was a game of uh, two halves, really. I think that we were very good in the first half. And then uh, we started to tire. And then you actually pretty much took over from there, I would say. So, good first half from us, uh, should have done more of the chances we got. And then the second half, we, yeah, can you say we were hitting on the brakes sometimes and you, you guys started to take over. And uh, So that's how I see it. It's, yeah. I think it was okay, but it was not the best match I've ever seen. <laughs> we, were are happy with the point, though? Considering how the match dragged through, I would say, yeah. I yeah. yeah, I think it was actually also if you consider the the chances. I mean, there were two great chances, wasn't there? It was one for Ericsson, where he pings it way over the the bar, yeah. and then the last one for Harry Kane where we uh, well, I think it was uh, like uh, on the line really much, okay. uh, and then that that was pretty much it. I would say, yeah. and then there were some midfield battles, and uh, but that was it really. I don't I don't think it was a match that you will keep the highlights on for another year or something.
1: No, no, I think I've probably uh, erosed it already. Um, oh. I mean, the perspective from England was that I think we kind of spoiled the game, really, with Gareth's defensive sort of selection. He came under a lot of scrutiny here with perhaps being a little bit defensive. Um, and personally, I think Denmark deserved more credit than they got. And you mentioned that that Ericsson chance towards the end. It, if they'd have scored that, then I think we really would have struggled. But, I mean, did England get a, a bit of a... a a media battering in Denmark because of the sort of the defensive lineup we put out.
3: Yeah, I was also quite uh, surprised when I saw the lineup, especially the two midfielders you had. Uh, I mean, the, the game totally changed when you put on uh, Jack Riddish from Aston Villa. Yeah, I mean, he pretty much transformed your attack and the, the how you combined from the midfield through the attack from there. So I think that. In Denmark, the media didn't actually take that much notice of this because they also saw the match and they could see it was a pretty much a, a match where both sides were happy with the point, I would say, because uh, you came from Iceland where you didn't perhaps play your best football, I can say that hopefully. Yeah. And, and, and we came from Belgium where we lost. So we needed at least a point there. And I think that considering this was Kasper Juhlmann, um, our head coach, second match uh, in charge. I think he was pretty much happy to, to get the draw because at the end, he also made some substitutions that we were defensive, to say the least. I mean, they he took up an attacker to put on a right back. I mean, if you, if you do that, it pretty much seals the deal, isn't it? So, mm, Yeah. But, we- um, yeah, that's how I see it.
1: Oh, you mentioned Casper. Is it Hulman's? Yeah, Kuhlman. yeah, he, yeah. It's, You mentioned the previous podcast that like this was his, he's in his second game, wasn't it, in charge? Yeah. And yeah. uh, he's released his latest squad now to uh, to face. You've played in the Faroe
3: Islands? Is that in right? A friendly, yeah. ah, in a friendly. Yeah. In a friendly. Okay. We got the Faroe Islands in a, in, a, in a friendly. And then we got Iceland and then you guys in the uh, Nations League after that. He didn't really change that much, but he put on, uh, I would say, two or three new players, uh, how you like it or not. I mean, we saw new players in uh, Andreas Gorulsen from Bologna in Italy, who recently scored in his last match. And he is one. I'm very much looking forward to see what he can do. He's very quick on the ball and some great technique. And then uh, also Jonas Vin from uh, from Copenhagen, who have really been a revelation for Copenhagen not this season, perhaps, but more like the end of the last season. And then new new guys and Philip Billing from Bournemouth, I think you know who it is. And then yeah. uh, Pione Sisto from um, well, former Seltzer player now FC Michelin. So uh, some quite new players. This new squad,
1: and I saw you tweeted saying that this is possibly close to the best Danish players available, best squad available.
3: Yeah, I would say this. I mean, considering uh, a lot of aspects to consider, but I would say, considering what kind of football Casper Juleman wants to play and uh, how I would say my perception of how we will play, I would say this is. Close to is uh, the best squad he can he can select at the moment. I mean, he's got the best players playing abroad, and then uh, mix in some youngsters and uh, uh, some from the uh, domestically. So I, I would say this is a perfect combination in, in those players. You can also argue that perhaps he should add another player. I mean, there's a, a player uh, running around in, in Norway at the moment uh, in Philip Sinkerag from uh, Bodø, uh, which is a team that's recently just uh, played almost. Uh, Heads up with uh, AC Milan in the um, qualification for the uh, Europa League. Right. So I would say that's always uh, you can always say, "Oh, he, he should be on," but instead of who? I mean, that, that's the that's the real argument, right? I mean, you can always add another player, but you can't field twenty-two players in a in a side. I mean,
1: no, there's only room who, for eleven.
3: Yeah, that is right. And who, and who do you don't you select? Who do you uh, sort out of this this group? And I mean, that's. Uh, that's a luxury problem, of course, considering that you can have injuries and uh, two from major players. But I would say that considering the players you've selected and uh, uh, added for this, this team, I would say that's pretty much accurate. The, it's, the stronger it's, side. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, it's good to hear that other supporters have these dilemmas about what players to, to pick and who to leave out. Um, it's often a, a, a conversation here in England. But I mean, will he experiment in the games against the Faroe Islands?
3: I expect so. I I really expect that he will, uh, and you have to also have to take the uh, position into consideration. But I think that he will be trying to to see if he can get some momentum going for the next two uh, or the next uh, more important matches, which, which is Iceland, which is a match we have to win uh, to get something out of this, and then hopefully a result in England if that's even possible. So I think that the Faroe Island, I think it will try to see if um, he can get some systems working, some of the players, I mean, I think he has to get some confidence into players like Christian Eriksson, and uh, hopefully uh, also like Robert skull, who played left-back versus you guys, and also the attackers. I think I think he'll try the Faroe Island match, was is really convenient uh, to have right now, considering that I think he needs to figure out who's his best 11 is, and what kind of system he can put in place before the next couple of matches. Yeah,
1: And, and with Iceland, do you, as a, a nation, Denmark, do you class them as, as big
3: rivals like you would with, say, Sweden and Norway? It's funny because it's not the first question I've asked, uh, been asked, uh, asked about. I don't see them as a biggest rival like Sweden. Uh, Sweden and Norway are biggest rivals considering uh, the whole Scandinavia thing and big yeah. brother, small brother. Uh, Iceland for us... Is more well. Now I'm going to say something that's pretty outdated, mate. Because I'm going to say, like, Iceland for us is like playing, you know, like uh, another team up there, like the Faroe Islands. But I say, okay. way better, better team than <laughs> the Faroe Islands. I would even consider them like, like being one of the sides that I think we were going to have our trouble against because as a collective, they are really, really strong and uh, it's still. Baffles me that I think there's like 500,000 living in Iceland that they can make this team play up against the best in the world and even get a result. Uh, that is mind-boggling and really good talent developing up there, considering you know, the low population. But no, it's not the same as playing Sweden. It's not the same as playing uh, Norway. But I think there will be some kind of uh, rivalry, uh, perhaps more from the Iceland fans or the Iceland uh, team against Denmark because. The whole history of Iceland is that uh, Iceland, uh, way back in the early days, I mean, 1900, uh, 19th century, were actually a part of Denmark. and okay. Then they got a independence, and then they, uh, like most of us, uh, got the independence, and then they are, a the nation up them, themselves, of course. And uh, yeah, I think there could perhaps be some more from the Iceland fans or the Iceland uh, team, yeah. but. Yeah, and no, it's not the same as playing Sweden. It's not the same as playing Norway.
1: Yeah. Oh well, there you go. Every day is a school day. I didn't know that Iceland was <laughs> previously part of Denmark. That's the early days.
3: That's yes. of history. But... Yeah. Uh, I mean, then
1: so moving on to the the Wembley game. Hopefully, it'll be a little bit more exciting than the game in Copenhagen. But but how do you see that? Obviously, you'd like to uh, to get a result there.
3: Oh, I think that's hoping. I mean, see, considering you're playing at home, I know that fans are not allowed and everything like that, but. I would still say you, know, you are major favorites or strong favorites for that one, but I see it really coming down to uh, fatigue. Mm. The players in England and elsewhere are playing like two or three matches per week now. Yes. Uh, due to the COVID 19 restrictions. So I, I, I really see this going down to something like fatigue. I mean, it, all, it also baffles me that UEFA and FIFA actually allow people to, to play like uh, three or even four matches uh, per week. And what, like, the next year or something like that. I mean, that's yeah, that, can't, that can't be healthy <laughs> from a official <laughs> standpoint. But uh, I think it goes down to fatigue. I think that I've, I've also seen several Premier League managers saying that uh, they hope that the national sides actually spare their players uh, for most of this, uh, as they don't want their players to get injured, of course, because of <laughs> prior possession. So I think it goes down to fatigue. But I also think that um, you have to admit that I think you will play in a more uh, attacking mindset uh, considering I think that Southgate got a bit of a stick from you guys uh, considering the more defensive tactics. I think at home, I think you will be more in an attacking mindset and I think that he will select players that are more uh, attacking-minded. So I think that we will have to take our chances on uh, the counter uh, if they come. So that's how I see it.
1: Okay. Well, we shall wait and see. Yes, hopefully a a more exciting game. Looking forward to that one, Klaus. As always, thank you very much for your time. You are, of course, on Twitter. It's at Danish Footy, isn't it? That's correct. Which is a uh, a Twitter account which is predominantly in English as well, isn't uh, it?
3: Mostly in English. Uh, I've also taken the time to uh, to replies for the da- for the Danish followers, but mostly in English. I see. That's the, that's the or point of it? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah.
1: Well, it's been certainly very helpful for me. Um, but thank you very much um, for no your problem. time and and all the best going forwards.
3: Yes. Thank you. You too.
1: Thank you to Klaus Ronberg there from Danish Footy. Thank you also to Rich Robertson from the Pale Droid podcast telling us about Wales and John Chapman from Belgo Foot who told us about Belgium. Uh, I'll link to all of those on the Three Lions podcast social media pages. Now it's a busy international window for all the England sides including the Young Lions. The Under-21s face Andorra away on the 7th of October. That's going to be on the England YouTube channel. They then face Turkey at Wolves Molyneux on the 13th of October. Both of those are under 21 Euro qualifiers and all we require is four points to secure qualification. Adi Boevereud has picked some familiar names. Whilst Phil Foden and Mason Greenwood are still eligible, they've not been picked My own guess is that the FA have agreed that a punishment across the board to be implemented for this window. We'll wait and see what happens next month. The under-20s, managed by Lee Carsley, face Wales at St George's Park on the 13th of October. This is a friendly. And the under-19s face Scotland twice. Again, both at St George's Park on the 8th and 11th of October. Ian Foster is in charge there. Uh, And lastly, the under-18s are just having a training session. But that still hasn't stopped Kevin Betsy pulling together 23 players to look at. And, as we mentioned previously, that the Lionesses, they're in action away from home on the 27th of October. Uh, They recently got together for a training session. But Phil Neville will announce his squad on the 13th of October. I'm sure come the review podcast, we'll try and catch up with Rich Laverty to talk about that. Now to finish up, we'll just round up on some England players that have recently moved clubs that you may have missed. Ross Barkley has moved on loan to Aston Villa from Chelsea uh, in what appears to be his own challenge to play in every major city in the country. Just really needs to get to Manchester to complete the set there. Uh, on the same day, under-21 player Ademola-Lukman moved on loan from German side RB Leipzig to Fulham. And Liverpool's Rian Brewster, also of the under-21s, has moved to Sheffield United. OK, I think that's enough of me for this episode. So until the next time, look after yourselves, stay safe and stay subscribed. Cheers.